0: Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 11 a.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. Well, you thankful to be at church this morning, yeah? How many of you are thankful for the upper parking lot getting done? Uh, I uh, took a turn all the way around the tree up there, and I was told by Joe I was about the 20th person to do that. Um, I I just want you to remember that as we look uh, forward to a bunch of different things that we're, uh, as a leadership team, going to be looking at, considering um, there are answers to prayer that we should not just pass by, but uh, a short while ago... We were looking at how we were going to be able to fix the upper parking lot. uh, And through all of those conversations, we knew it was going to probably be about a million dollar project for Salem Heights. Uh, So far, we've just spent a little bit of money on this upper piece of the parking lot. But all the rest of that project, uh, the school saw necessary to cover their bases as well. And they took that on. Uh, That just isn't done in this day and age, and we believe that was the hand of God giving us favor in a tough season. Amen? One of the things it says in Romans 1 is that when you see the hand of God, the darkness begins to come in on a nation, on a group, uh, and within our midst, when we don't honor him as God or give thanks, and uh, we need to see his activity, give him praise for it, That's one of the things that uh, we know God did, and he's not done. Uh, Also, I just want to make this plea to you. uh, For the ladies that are here, uh, if you've not signed up for Women's Retreat, or I should say the conference, uh, I'm going to encourage you to do that. If there's something that's holding you back, uh, tell your neighbor, tell somebody around you. Uh, We'll help you get there. Uh, but if you haven't signed up for that, it's going to be worth your time. Uh, it'll be not just an encouragement to you um, through knowledge, but you're going to gain in relationship value and your ability uh, to connect the dots in the Word of God. It's going to be a useful time, so make sure that you sign up for that. Are we good? That was our public service announcement. Now to the Word. Uh, we're going to be back in the book of Hebrews. We're in a series here called Incomparable. And as we start, I just want you to think to uh, the last time that you watched the Olympics. I know that they've fallen on hard times because we have so many other reality shows to watch. Um, But the last time that you watched the Summer Olympics and you watched that uh, team rowing competition and you saw the little individual sitting up front, uh, some little bossy person found their spot. All right, the coxswain in the, uh, the boat and all they're doing is shouting directions, and everybody in the boat has to take orders. Now, the only person who can see really where they are headed is that person that's shouting the orders. All the rest of the rowers have their back to the future. Okay? They can't see where they are headed. They must rely on that voice. If they do not listen to that voice and the corrections that that voice is giving to them, The boat will drift, they will go off course, they will for sure lose time, but they may lose the race. We're called not to drift. Barna in a recent survey highlighted that 69% of people in the United States identify as Christian, 69%. But when he outlined what a Christian worldview entailed, only 6% of people in the United States actually live by a Christian worldview. 69% identify as Christian, only 6%. By the way, in order to hold sway over a culture, you need to uh, be about 10%. 10% of individuals identifying with your worldview, you'll begin to hold sway in a culture Christianity is losing sway. When we talk about drifting, there is a recent survey that was done in the valley through uh, the middle of uh, California. A group of pastors, regional churches. They were investigating how many of them were discouraged right now. We've come out of coronavirus and all of these different things, the shutdowns and all of the issues. How many of you are just getting your wind back in your sails? 55% said They're looking for an exit plan. They're going to be leaving within the next few years. This isn't just people who kind of picked up the mantle for a short season. Long-term leaders who are beginning to get overwhelmed and say, what's the point? I believe that this study in the book of Hebrews is a great theological study. It's an intriguing book. It is a profound thing for us to drink in. But it is relevant today. Amen? And the challenge that we run into in this chapter and verse right now is that in every single season, believers have been tempted to drift, to look look at the wind and the waves, And forget to listen to the voice of the Savior. Hebrews 2, 1 through 4. Let's stand and read this section together. God's Word has this to say. For this reason, we must pay attention all the more to what we have heard. So that we will not drift away. For... If the message spoken through angels was legally binding, and every transgression and disobedience received a just punishment, how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? This salvation had its beginning when it was spoken of by the Lord, and it was confirmed to us by those who heard him. At the same time, God also testified by signs and wonders and various miracles, distribution of gifts from the Holy Spirit, according to his will. Do you believe that that is true? You may be seated. We're going to pay attention to uh, this, and and, um, this really wraps up the opening volley from the author of the book of Hebrews. He has given us his thesis. He's given us the main scripture content uh, in chapter 1, and now he is summing it up and saying, now we're going to launch into the body of the work And he says, but before we do this, I want to give you my heart's concern. And that is, some are drifting from what has been said. You don't see it in Scripture. You're not following what Scripture says. You're following your own devices, and it has left you in a place of ruin. I believe it's important for us to understand that throughout the book of Hebrews, there is a main theme. He is speaking here to believers who have run into hard times and have begun to drift back to old ways. Every single chapter is spoken to believers. This is important. That's why we started at the very end um, in our very first session and we looked at chapter 13, a a statement to believers. In um, chapter 1, verse 2, he says, these things are spoken to us. In this chapter here, just right in these four verses that we looked at, he uses the term we, 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 and then he says us. Once again, he is, he is saying I, the speaker, the one filled with the Holy Spirit, enabled to give you the word of God, I am bunched together with you. We receive these things. These things have been true in our midst. We have seen this happen. He says, brothers and sisters, in the very next chapter, he says, uh, we are not among those who shrink back in a later chapter, chapter 10. He says, we're disciplined as sons in chapter 12. Chapter 13, at the very end, as he's wrapping it all up, he says, let the love of the brotherhood continue, lumping all of these people together. In Christ, he says, we need all of us to offer up a sacrifice of praise. All the way through the book, there's no indication that he is shifting from audience to audience. There's one audience, this group of people, and his heart is stirred that they would hear it. Now that's important as we look at the warning passages in particular, but the book as a whole. One audience. And he starts in this first warning with a warning, don't drift. Now we're going to take a semi-devotional walk through this because we've stepped on it uh, for three weeks in a row. But I want you to take a look at this and reflect a little bit on what we have taught. First statement he makes here, for this reason. By the way, that entry right there should indicate that you should have read chapter 1. Okay, for this reason, there's something there for you. By the way, um, it says this, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard so we don't drift. How many of you this week, knowing that it was going to say that, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, went back and read these scriptures. Remember, one of the goals of this is not for us just to get theological training, okay, but to actually have practical steps that will hit our feet. So it says, because of this, because of what is just written, we need to pay closer attention to what we have heard. And he gives you seven scriptures From the Old Testament, that he builds his entire case on. All the rest of the book hinges on you understanding that there was more in those passages than meets the eye. You got to understand not just the little phrase that he has written there, but the story that that gets pulled out of. This is super important. If you are going to get what you need to get out of the book of Hebrews, you have to understand the storyline that he is speaking about. And I would strongly encourage you, every single time you see that indented or highlighted section in your Bible that indicates it's going back to an Old Testament story, if you cannot pull up the context, if you don't know why the scriptures that he pulls up get brought up multiple times in the Old Testament in their salvation story, And now multiple times in the new. If you can't pull up the reason that that story should trigger something theologically in you, read it. Read it. Don't wait for somebody else to read it to you. Search it out. There is a big difference between something being said and something being heard. There's a big difference between something being said and something being heard. We must read what Scripture says, not what we want it to say. As I just highlighted, there are seven Old Testament quotes here. Uh, Let me just uh, indicate to you, in verse 5, it says, For to which of the angels did he ever say? Now, he's highlighting for you the fact that uh, the Old Testament, uh, Moses comes down from the mountain. He has ten commandments and some directions by which they should live. And remember, Deuteronomy highlights for us that myriads of angels are attending to him. He actually gets handed the tablets by angels. This is Moses' own word in Deuteronomy uh, 32. So he is highlighting for these folks this storyline. He says, the first one was handed by angels. But the person who gave you this expectation that we're reading about in Hebrews is greater than the angels. And he says, for which of the angels did he ever say, today you are my son. Today I become, become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. Psalm 2.7, you should put that down in there. Just in your Bible somewhere or in your notes. In Second Samuel 7.14, look that up. Here's something you're going to notice. Psalms begin to reflect on something that happened to David. And then it gets brought up multiple times and chewed on by the prophets. And then it comes up five times in the New Testament. That statement alone. Why? Because even though back then he's speaking to a generation and he's telling them about a king that's going to come. They were listening and they were listening about a king. But they missed the fact that it's going to be God that would show up. And over and over and over again, as God would bring enlightenment to the prophets and tell them what it is they were supposed to write down, they were preparing the way. Jesus points back to these scriptures and says, don't you see that it's talking about me? But all they saw was what they wanted to see. Seven Old Testament quotes, each passage pointing to something greater. Brought up over and over again in the old and the new. But what did the readers of that original word see? They only saw that they had victory in the end. Just pause really quick and let me ask you about the devotional studies that have come out in the last three years. Have you read any studies that put a scripture in there that's pulled out of context to let you know you get victory in the end? This isn't just an Old Testament problem. It's not just a New Testament church problem. It is a human problem. We look for what goods we get out of it, and we miss Scripture. I have a couple pictures just to highlight this. Have you ever seen a sign and just saw what you feel? Men working, prepared to be annoyed. How about this one? Have you only seen what's relevant to you? Please be safe. Saw that pretty clearly. You might not have read, do not stand, sit or climb, or lean on the fences. If you fall, animals will eat you, and that might make them sick. (laughs) We see, please be safe, but we don't read the rest. Have you ever ignored the sign altogether? Don't feed the monkeys. This guy didn't read the sign. Actual picture from South Africa. Uh, That's a problem, by the way. Those monkeys are not nice. When we look at Scripture, one of the problems that we have is we see what we want to see. Or sometimes we don't read the entire context. Or we pull out a little gem in order to give somebody a thought that the original author did not intend to give. And the problem with that, even though we're using Scripture to encourage people, is we miss the greater point. The entirety of Scripture is not about you, it's about Him. And when we make it about us, we miss him. It's the difference between something being said and something being heard. The world will tend to wash away what what God desires to say. The context of all five of the warnings is that external pressure has caused them to drift from what God said. And they started finding their own way to deal with the current pressures. That's the context of the warnings. Don't remove what God said. He said, don't run away from that. Oppression and fear will make you weak. But also, God has not hidden his plan. We've just covered our eyes. For this reason, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard so that we will not drift away. But he goes into a next statement. He says, for the message spoken through angels was legally binding. And every transgression and disobedience received its just punishment. First of all, do you believe that? Message spoken up through angels, he's speaking of the message that was handed to Moses, and it was binding for all of Israel. In fact, that was the expectation. If you are going to follow God, this is the way that you can follow him. It was legally binding. Every transgression received a just punishment. That idea that we follow an angry God in the Old Testament and a loving God in the new misses who God is in every single age. A God of compassion, slow to anger. All the rest of the gods in all of the world did not tell their people how you could please them. They would go and sacrifice and they would dance around and cut themselves. But they didn't know if they had pleased their God. Only the God of Israel had told them, don't do those things. Don't sacrifice your children. Don't harm yourself. Don't guess. I will tell you what pleases me. And somehow that in our eyes has turned him into an angry God. Do this and live, he says gracious act of a loving God, was binding. But he says now, now that Jesus has come, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Second thought we need to wrap our minds around is that truth has consequences. Parable of the vineyard in uh, Luke chapter 20. Let me just remind you what it says here. Jesus speaking, sharing this storyline. Starting in verse 9, it says, Now he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and leased it to tenant farmers. And then he went away for a long time. And at harvest time, he sent a servant to the farmer so that they might give him some fruit from the vineyard. But the farmers beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent yet another servant, but they beat that one too. They treated him shamefully. And they sent him away empty-handed. And he sent a third, but they wounded this one too, and they threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, what should I do? Should I send my beloved son? Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenant farmers saw him, they disgusted among themselves, and they said, this is the heir. Let's kill him so that the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard, and they killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He'll come and kill those farmers and give the vineyard to others. But when they heard this, they said, that must never happen. He looked at them and said, what is the meaning of this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. By the way, indented, in bold in most of your Bibles, Old Testament quote. If you get a chance look up Psalm 118, Pretty important for you to know that because Jesus refers to it for the rest of the time. Look it up. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. To whom it falls, it will shatter him. And the scribes and the chief priests looked for a way to get their hands on him that very hour. Because they knew he had told this parable against them. But they feared the people. Parable of the vineyard parallels this exact same idea do you believe in an age of grace that there are still consequences this is one of the troubles that we have all right we have some folks and I had discussions with multiple people during the course of this last week and this is the concern all the way along in the book of Hebrews the reason that they want it to be about two different audiences because we're talking about Jesus right he's the love side of God We're living in the age of grace. Do you want to know what it is to have grace? It's that we don't have an eternal punishment for the sin that we've done against the holy God. That's grace. We're no longer under those laws and regulations. We no longer have to live up to a standard that we can't attain. We have the Spirit of God in us. That's grace. And we live in grace. Today, when you woke up, you were no farther from heaven because of the grace of God. If you are a believer right now, all you have to do is say, Lord, will you help me with this mess I keep making? Will you help me to walk right with you? That's grace. But do you know if you continue in a pattern of sin that there are some in here today who because you know the Lord and you know what it is that you should do and you are not doing it, there'll be a problem in your life. It'll impact your marriage. It'll impact your relationships. It'll impact your businesses. It will impact your role in the community. It will impact the way that people see you, your integrity, your reputation. We live in an age of grace, but God says, you still must follow me. Follow me, he says. Truth has consequences. The picture that he is using here, imagine for a moment that uh, you are a parent You've had dinner, all the kids are outside playing, and you've said, man, I want to make sure that I invite the kids in for dessert. And you see the boys out there roughhousing because that's what they do after they got done and they're full and there's no other consequences waiting for them, right? They're roughhousing in the backyard. So dad sends little sister and says, hey, just go out there, tell them to knock it off and come in. Why? I have a blessing for them. I want them to be able to have this dessert. But they send little sister away. So then he sends little brother out there. Hey, would you tell your brothers to knock it off? And the boys stop. They don't listen. So then dad shows up, right? Now, are they going to listen? Let's imagine in this story that they respect dad, all right? (laughs) Yeah, they're going to listen. What they're trying to highlight in here, what the author of Hebrews is trying to tell you is, You had all of these indicators and all these preparations and God is actually inviting you to a great big blessing and I've sent you these people to prepare you, to invite you, to get you to the table. You did not listen. The consequences right now are no less real. Respond to the son. Dad showed up and carried the message. There is a old story and we won't uh, use the slide here but um Keith Miller and Bruce Larson in The Edge of Adventure uh, quote this, it's one that has been around for many, many years, about a guy named Desert Pete. And it was a letter that was actually found in a baking powder jar, hung on the handle of a pump out in a a section of Arizona, a trail that was not very often used. And inside there was a, a letter and it says this, this pump is all right as of June, 1932. I put a new sucker washer in it, it ought to last five years. But the washer dries out, and the pump has got to be primed. Under the white rock, I buried a bottle of water out of the sun, cork and up. There's water in it, just enough to prime the pump, but not if you drink some first. Pour one-fourth of it, and let her soak to wet the leather. Then pour in the rest medium-fast and pump like crazy. You'll get water. Get G-I-T. The well has never run dry. Have faith. When you get watered up, fill the bottle and put it back the way you found it for the next feller. Signed, Desert Pete. P.S. Don't go drinking the water first. Prime the pump and it will give you all you can hold. Do you trust the word? Here's one of the problems that these people had. They were encountering real life adversity But they weren't sure that they could trust what had been written is that you you see things in scripture and it doesn't seem to meet right now what you are feeling or the concern that you have or what you are facing and instead of trusting what it says and doing what it says which seems counterintuitive pour all the water in when i'm this thirsty yeah, because all the water you're going to ever be able to drink in is going waiting if you follow what he says. Truth has consequences, and we need to trust the one that is the author of truth. But a final thing I want you to see here is that God makes salvation clear even in the dark. He says, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? This salvation had its beginning. Notice, he doesn't say with me or when I discovered it, or I found this guy that was able to tell me about it. He said, this salvation had its beginning when it was spoken of by the Lord, Jesus. It was confirmed to us by those who heard him. At the same time, God testified with signs and wonders, various miracles and distributions of gifts by the Holy Spirit according to his will. He says, everything that we've talked about in the book of Acts the reflection on what Jesus had actually said, all of these things have been given to you as proofs. Jesus said it, rose again from the grave. The apostles saw it, they've attested that it was true. The miracles are there, they have proved that these things are true. You can trust what he said. Stick with what he said. Don't come up with a new plan. God makes his salvation clear. Everywhere that you turn, there is evidence. Now, we don't have time to look at all these things. There's so many interesting little tidbits in this trail, uh, just in verse 4 alone. But here is the key from the Old Testament to the New, it was always a testimony of three witnesses that would prove something that was right. And here, following the same pattern that Jesus had done even in his lifetime, this author says there are three that testify the Lord and his resurrection, the apostles, and their reflection on what they saw, and the miracles you can't ignore. He's the way. Key question for us, middle of this warning is, why did the author have to remind them of this salvation story? Why did he remind them of the consequences of not listening? Because even when you're that near to that historical moment, when hardship comes, we tend to drift. When pressure comes, we start listening to the voices around us. When our heart feels discouraged, we start cherry-picking scriptures that we like rather than listening to what God intended. It's a chronic problem. Their fear of hard times made them retreat and it made them hard of hearing there's a story that I've used before that's um, been helpful to me as I was studying this the story about Jim Lovell in the Apollo 13 mission you remember uh, that that story that has been made famous now by the movie uh, Houston we have a problem and here is a guy that uh, at one point has to steer when they've lost uh, instruments And so he is looking out the window of their little lander, right? And uh, he's steering the ship with this burst of energy by keeping um, just the earth in that little tiny window. He's having to do this. And when he lands on the ground, somebody asked him, did you ever in your life have anything like that that would prepare you for that kind of experience? That you had to focus on something other than what you had been trained by in order to get you home? And he said, yeah. I did 1950 doing maneuvers end of uh, world war ii in a plane that was a little bit rickety uh, his plane had picked up a false signal off of the coast of japan so he was on a carrier and they were running night missions so they had to run dark and in the process of hearing that he had gone in circles and had lost his way his instruments had gone dark He turned on a little tiny map light. It was the only light that was uh, left in there. And all the rest of his equipment shorted out. He was flying by feel. And now he could not see. And he says, I had the map. I had all of these things. I was making radio calls, but my radio was dead. Instruments are are faulty. He says, I'm just trying to find my way back to the carrier. I'm confident that I'm going to dip in the ocean. He says, but until that time, I had this map light, the cockpit lights on. I could see my map. He says, I couldn't see what was in front of me. And uh, I think we have a picture here of the USS Macon Island. Uh, This is actually a U.S. ship that's going through. They got a picture out the side of uh, phosphorescent algae. As they go through it, it actually leaves a trail. So it's an actual picture of lighting up. As you stir up this algae, they would uh, leave a trail. He said, in the night, in that uh, part of the sea... As the carrier was moving away, he saw this wide V that was pointing him right straight to home. He said, I would not have seen it if it hadn't gone dark. This is one of the things that I want to encourage you with. The word of God has been given to us so that in every single age we would know the way home. Can I suggest to you that for some of us, we have found the Word of God and something else? We we feel like we're safe because we have the Word of God and a full bank account. We have the Word of God and a safe country. We have the Word of God and a good community. We have the Word of God and... But you want to know one of the things that gets real troubling? Is when whatever follows that and goes away. Do you want to know what you need? The trail that will lead you safely home? He's already given it to you. The word of God. And some of us forget that until the world goes dark. Is it possible that a gift to us believers is the shaking that's happening around us? Is it possible that the world going dark is a gift to believers to remind them that they've always had the safe way home right in their hands? You've not lost access to the Lord. There's no need to run away. The answers are still right here. He is still near. We just need to be reminded that the other things that we're holding on to are causing us to drift off course. He'll see you home. Amen? Amen. And he wants to see you safely home. The warning to believers is we need to pay close attention to what we have heard so that we won't drift. What is it that God would have you attention to in his word this morning let's pray father we ask uh, that you would help us as we apply these things Uh, some of the things that are hard for us to hear are what's just laying right there in the scripture many times we will read scripture we will search out your word and we'll find little nuggets little truths that we pull out Uh, But, Father, we pull those out of context because we want a blessing in our life. And we miss the point that you have called us to something far greater. We're part of a historical moment, a season where you are being put on display, where your plans and your will and your energy throughout history, you have been moving towards a conclusion that will bless us, but it's all about you. Father, remind us that you... Are the point of history, that Christ is leading us safely home, our Savior, the one that we need to trust. Father, we do not need anything more than him. Help us to trust. Father, help us in this season to pay closer attention to what we have heard that we might not drift. We pray this in Jesus' name, Amen.